going to ask you if you have a Bible with you this morning. Maybe you have it on a, a tablet. Maybe you have it on a phone. Maybe you have it hidden in your heart. Maybe you have one in your hand. We're going to have the scriptures on the screen so you don't have to feel um, left out if you don't have one with you. But I want you to say this with me, if you would. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can be who it says I can be. And I'm going to be who it says I can be. It was written for me, for my correction, my direction, and my soon coming resurrection. Oh Lord, be it unto me according to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. I love saying that. I enjoy saying it because I think about all the things that are so true about the Word of God. And I hope you have a relationship with the Scripture. hope you have a relationship with the Word of God. And one of the things I love most about it is when Mary said to the angel, you remember that story? There's some really great holidays in Christianity. And, and one of them is Christmas where the only begotten son was born of the Virgin Mary. And she got that message from the angel. And the angel told her this story that you're going to conceive by the Spirit. And she didn't, she didn't question why beyond the point of, I want it. She literally said, oh Lord, be it unto me according to your word. And she received the Word of God. Amen? And when we say that, we can be ready to receive the Word of God. And I hope that you'll have ear to hear what the Spirit is getting ready to say to the church. Listen to the area that maybe He's already tapping on your heart. Listen to the area that maybe He's already suggesting to you or something He's reminding you of that has not yet been done, the unfinished work of what Jesus' blood and what His power can do in your life. He's here for us this morning. He is present to heal maybe long-lasting wounds and, and discouragement and disappointments and personal regrets and whatever it may be in your life, Jesus wants to not just have you believe in the resurrection. He wants to do a resurrection in you. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. He didn't just say, I'm going to be resurrected. He said, I am the resurrection. And he can bring a resurrection in, in our lives also. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to ask if you would just one last time, you've been standing a lot, to stand for this portion of the reading of the word. Uh, it has meaning uh, to us, and it shows great value and respect to the Word of God, uh, but it also speaks to where the Apostle Paul was speaking. He said, moreover, brethren, in chapter 15, verse 1, he said, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also is received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast to the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. You may be seated. Let's look at what the Apostle Paul was saying. The Apostle Paul is, is preaching, he's writing a letter, he's writing an epistle, he's reaching out to the people in the city of Corinth. It's the first letter that he wrote to them. He's communicating to them. It'd be like somebody sending a message to Scottsboro or to Jackson County and parts of Marshall County or Madison County or DeKalb County, whatever area, whatever region that you're from, that he, he sent a word and he says, hey, I want to I teach you guys a few things. I want to address a few things in your life. I want to encourage you in a few areas there. I want to I convey to you what God has been saying to me. And that's my hopes and that's my desires this morning is to say to you, what God has been dropping in my spirit, what God has been encouraging me to minister in the word of God. And so he said, moreover, what does he mean moreover? 
Well, you know 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the chapter of love, right? That love does not fail, doesn't bear records, doesn't hold grudges. I mean, he goes on and he shares about this incredible aspect of love, the unfailing love of God. He said, there's more than that. There's more than that. And I don't know that you could really think that there could be much more than that, especially when you sandwich it together in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, and he starts to talk about the body of Christ and the gifts and the talents that they have and the ministry that they have and all the things that they can do and the, and the fruit of the Spirit. He said, no, there's still more. That's a bunch right there. And the church knows a lot about those things. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, he said, hey, look, there shouldn't be dissensions. There should not be contentions amongst you guys. You guys should know how to do life together. You guys should know how to live as a body of Christ and not just get easily offended. There's going to be offense, but there's a way to deal with it. And he's saying, there's more than this. How could there be more than this? Well, this is what he's getting ready to tell us. He's getting ready to, to, to introduce to them something that was very passionate in his heart. Paul was a great preacher. Paul was a great minister. Paul was an apostle. Uh, Paul was a, a letter writer. Paul was, was somebody that was leading the church, and not just in that area, but many different areas. And he says, listen, there's something very near and dear to my heart, and something you need to be aware of, and something you should not just celebrate once a year, but it's the resurrection, it's the resurrection of Christ. He said, we need to be prepared for the resurrection of Christ. We have got to be ready. We need to be mindset on that. That ought to be our living thought. And anything we think, we ought to think through, is this leading towards the resurrection? Amen. So he said, this is very important to me. He said, I'm going to give you the gospel which I preach to you. He said, the gospel which I preach to you, I received it myself. You maybe have said it to somebody before. Hey, you ought to preach what you practice, preacher. Paul's saying, listen to you. Uh, listen to me. I'm only preaching to you what I practice. I'm only giving to you what he has given to me. I'm not preaching outside of the sphere of what's going on in your life. I'm telling you, this is what means something to me. His passion's in there. His zeal is in there. His, his life is in there. He said, this is what I really believe. I'm not preaching beyond. He said, you received in which you stand. And you and I just stood. You and I have a responsibility this morning to receive the preached word of God. That's a wonderful gift and a privilege that we have. He said, which you stand, by which also you are saved. You're saved by grace, through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Do you realize and know that you are not just saved, but you're created for something? You and I are created for his glory. You and I are created for his pleasure. You and I are created in Christ Jesus for good works and to do good works. It's not just the preacher do it, friends. It's you and I created in the image of God. There's a gifting and a calling on each one of our lives. He said, by which you're saved if you hold fast to the word which I preach to you. So if you could picture the word of God for just a second, you believe, you've received Jesus Christ, you're here this morning because you're seeking him in some way, in some measure, because you believe in him, then the preached word of God helps you to stay secure. Right. The preached word of God helps you to not drift and not fade away. The word of God is there to keep you in him. It is there to keep you. Matter of fact, one of my daughters has a, a little saying on the, on the door going out of the room in which she stays in. It's got a little piece of notepaper up there, and, and it literally says on it, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In other words, what she's saying, that while I'm in here, I'm in you, but when I go out there, I need to stay with you. When I walk out the door, I need your word, what I heard preached, what I read, what I've been praying there. It needs to be the path of my life. I don't know where you may be right now. I know in my own life, 
There's times to easily step off of the path or stray from the way or get something in my thoughts and something in my mind that the word of God brings me back into that path. And perhaps today is the new day, the beginning day, the fresh start of getting back on that path and staying on that course and letting the word of God hold you. He said, listen, he said, you are saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Have you ever done something? something that cost you something, something that, that required something of you and you did it. And, and when you did it, you got to the end of it and you realized there's no, it was futile. It was useless. It, it didn't amount to anything. There was no return. There was no benefit out of it whatsoever. You did it in vain. He's saying, be careful. There are people who have believed in vain. They believe, but it profited them nothing. It accomplished nothing in their life. He said, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received. Christ died for us, according to the scripture. Now, if somebody were just to say that to you, uh, they may not, you may not believe them because of who they are, because of who they aren't, of what they do or what they don't do. You may say, ah, hard to believe. I just don't believe that person. I'm not sure that they're knowledgeable enough. It doesn't look like they live what they're saying there. Well, beyond that, there's scriptures that support this. It's not just what people say. Matter of fact, somebody might say to you, how can you say that Jesus loves me and Jesus died for me? You say, well, I can say it, but I can also show it to you. This isn't come along today business. This is history. This has been going on for 2,000 some years. And there's 4,000 years in front of that that support the 2,000 years that supports the day that I'm living in right now. These two minutes are as big as those 2,000 years because it's in the scripture. Well, not only is salvation and redemption in the scriptures, it says that he rose again on the third day, according to scriptures. Somebody presented us a question in our staff recently. I think Pastor DJ brought it up that, you know, Jesus, was Jesus in the tomb for three days? That's not what it says. It said he rose on the third day. He didn't spend three days in the tomb, but that's what a lot of people quote. You see, because they don't know their scripture. And that's not a bad thing. That's an invitation to know the scripture. It's recorded in the word of God. You and I have the Bible. That's why we ought to hold on to it and say, this is my Bible. You ain't taking it from me. I might give it to you because I got another one. I've got enough to get another one, but you can't take the word of God from me. This is, this is my manual. This is who I am. Every day of my life, according to Psalm 139, is written in the word of God. If you had a bad day yesterday, there was something in there to tell you that you might have a bad day or how to get out of the bad day. But if you had a good day yesterday, I'm here to tell you, he already knew you were going to have a good day because he has written it all out for you. You are in the word of God. Why? Because you're in him and he is the word of God. He knows everything that's going to come or everything that has happened or everything that's going to happen. Amen. So the scripture, there's some of us that are standing here today because we believe. There's some of us that stood when I read the word of God and said, I believe this. my, My life is dedicated to this. There's some that are standing here today that believe simply because Others believed, and they believed the others. This is what mama said. This is what daddy said. It's what the preacher said. And there's some that may be standing here today that are seeking for something to believe. I hope that you can find Jesus, the word of God, in the midst of anything and everything that I speak today, and something that you can hold on to. So let's talk about the resurrection. Let's look at the resurrection according to scripture. Let's let scripture speak for itself. 
Paul said, let the word of God have its free course. Would you give ear for just a few more moments to hear what the word of God has to say and how it may relate to you? Psalm chapter 16, verse 9 through 11. Many of us are familiar with that young little boy that had a slingshot and laid out a giant with one stone, killed him, knocked him out dead. The one that was defying the armors of God. And David, right? His name is David. David wrote this psalm, but in the midst of the psalm, he starts to prophesy. Matter of fact, a couple of chapters later in Psalm 22, he literally prophesied the cross, the scene of the cross. Matter of fact, his, his intro word was Jesus' entrance words on the cross. Jesus had seven sayings, and, and, and David stops it with the last saying of Jesus. He literally said what Jesus said on the cross. He was prophesying. Now, you need to understand something interesting about this, is that David was a thousand years prior, a thousand years prior. This is how established the word of God is. This is how knowledgeable and how, how, uh, how uh, living and how uh, accurate God is, is that he prophesied that. But not only that, the crucifixion was not even a consideration. They weren't even using that form of death in his time. It came about later. So he's speaking in a scenario that people would say, what on earth are you talking about? David said in Psalm 16 concerning the, re the resurrection, therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And David is literally saying, I I'm not going to stay in the pit of the earth. David is saying, even though that I was born in transgression and I was born in sin, he said, I'm not going to stay in the pits of hell. I'm not going to stay in the grass of the enemy himself. No, 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 not me, but nor will your holy one who had not yet been born in David's time, nor will your holy one see uh, corruption. He's not going to experience corruption. In other words, David's saying, we're going to have a life after this. Even though there will be a point of death, we're going to live again. I'm not going to live without him. I'm going to live with him. So he's speaking of a resurrection. He's declaring it in early settings. He says, you shall show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Those three lines in verse 11 uh, could become a life verse for many of us in here this morning. The promise that he will show me the path of life. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to lead my family. I don't know which job to take. I don't know what I should do with this aspect of my life. How do I handle this and how do I handle that? He said he'll show you the path of life. He will lead you on the path that will bring you into life. Not only show you the path of life, he said, he said there's joy in your presence. He's saying that if you spend time in my presence, you can get strong. You spend time in my presence, even though you're sorrowful, even though you're mourning, even though you're grievous, even though you're discouraged, he can strengthen you and bring joy to your life. This could become a life verse for you to realize where these provisionals lie. He said, and that's your right hand of pleasures. Listen to this, forevermore. David is speaking into eternity. So where does this prophecy get fulfilled? This prophecy was quoted in Acts chapter 2, right after the conception and the, the, the activation of the New Testament church, which you and I are still a part of some 2,000 years later. It says, for he foreseeing this, when David saw this, he spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ. 
David, a thousand years earlier, was speaking towards the resurrection of Christ. That his soul was not left in Hades, which is hell, nor did his flesh see corruption. What a promise. What a promise through a prophecy of his resurrection. Psalm 118, uh, verses 17 and 18. He said, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Hades, where is your victory? Friends, this was established far before Jesus even experienced it. Luke 24, when they came to the tomb, they were afraid and they bowed their faces to the earth and they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee saying, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day he'll rise again. Jesus literally prophesied his own death, burial, and resurrection. He said, this is the way that it's going to be. Friends, it's been established from long before. So what about a promise and a prediction? You get the prophecy that leads to the promise. Jesus made a prediction in the early onset of his ministry. Matter of fact, it's in John chapter 2. In John chapter 2, it's probably within the first six months of his ministry. Matter of fact, if not even a little bit earlier. You know, Jesus turned the water into wine. Jesus said this. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? He's doing miracles. He's doing signs and wonders. He's unveiling the power of God, the glory of God, the supernatural acts of God. Jesus Andrew said, destroy this temple. He said, and in three days, I'll raise it up. Then the Jews said, hey, buddy, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And you say you'll raise it up in just three days? So there's all these buildings around them, and it's one called the temple. But Jesus came to present a new concept, a new understanding, and a new covenant. And Paul said this to the Corinthians, as he's saying moreover to us, he says, do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Now listen to me, that's not just a charismatic Pentecostal go-to. That's a reality. Jesus came to show us that Ark of the Covenant that nobody could find is really you and me now. That we are the ark. We are the dwelling place of the living spirit of God. We are where he wants to take up residence in our life. This is where he wants to dwell. You and I walked in here today, maybe empty, maybe spent, but we can walk out of here filled. We can walk out of here refreshed. We can walk out of here empowered. Maybe you came in weak. You can walk out with new joy. You can walk out with new peace. He can fill you with who he is. Amen. You remember perhaps that day. We sang a song, I remember when you called my name. I'll tell you what, I remember where I was in that bunk bed when I gave my life to Jesus. I was sick and tired of the drugs and alcohol. My body still craved them. Uh, my flesh still wanted them, but I was tired on the inside, and I asked Jesus. I heard him knocking on the door of my heart, and he came in and he filled me. He came in and he changed me. You know what? He so set me free. I had no, uh, 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 no desires for it anymore. I was set free. He gave me a new desire, 
gave me a new hope, gave me a new life. And he can do that for you and in you and for anyone and in anyone today, right now. He said, I'll raise it up. He was talking about his body being the temple. In other words, he was declaring, look, there's going to come a day y'all going to tear me down. You're going to hang me on a cross. You're going to kill me. You're going to poke me. You're going to pierce me. He said, but in three days, I'll raise. I'll rise back up. In three days. The Jews said it took 46 days. He said, therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that same. You know, you might not experience something specifically today, but maybe 46 days from now, maybe 46 years from now, you might remember that as you're lying there in the middle of the street, dead, broke, tired, homeless, whatever it may be, destroyed, life just falling apart, you might remember these words like the disciples did. Hey, he can raise me up. Hey, he can put me back together. He goes on and he says, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. So he predicted it. He let them know. They had scripture to stand on. How about the proof? You know, some people argue, debate, doubt, don't really believe this Jesus stuff. But you know, if you have enough witness and enough evidence in the court of law, it's going to prove somebody right or wrong, right? Even if you have one witness, yeah, I saw him do it. That's a powerful leveraging point to convict somebody. Well, listen, there was people in Jesus' time called Pharisees, and there's some called Sadducees, and these Sadducees believed a lot, but they didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. The resurrection gives us hope. The resurrection gives us courage. The resurrection allows us to rejoice in, in difficult times. Allows us to lift our head up because Jesus is coming back. Have you ever said, I can't wait till he comes? That I can get out of here, right? That's because you believe in the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul left off, and I read earlier, verse 5. Paul said, and he was seen by Cephas. He said, then by the twelve. Matter of fact, Paul's account here is not complete. He didn't talk about the women. He didn't talk about the ladies that came there. Later on in the scripture, he says, you know, he says, listen, guys, I saw him too. And I was one who was born out of due time. I'm one of the apostles. I'm not even worthy of being an apostle, but I am an apostle. And he revealed himself. He literally manifested himself when I was going down this road to Damascus. And he demasked me and he just set me free. And he opened up my eyes to see him in the spirit and to hear his voice. Yet though I was blind, I could still see him. He heard him. He knew him. He said, Cephas saw him, 12 saw him. He said, after that, was seen, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. When he said some have fallen asleep, that means some of them have actually died. They're not with us anymore. But the reality is, he said, there was over 500 people who saw and knew that he died, was buried, and then raised again. And that's just the believer ones. We're going to find out that they were actually Roman soldiers who said, oh my goodness, he was the son of God. They knew that he rose out of that grave. They tried to pay people off to hush money to keep it from the first hush money that we know of trying to keep people silent on it because they didn't want people to know that he told the truth. 
So there was a lot of evidence. Could you imagine being on trial? Could you imagine being the devil and he's lied to a bunch of people and all of a sudden you see 500 people lined up out the courthouse hallway, down the steps and down the block and some are at pains getting their ice cream and, and some are going around doing a little shopping and a hammer and, and the devil's going, I'm about to get hammered. And I'm going to feel a lot of pain in just a few minutes because there's over 500 witnesses who disproved my lie. Well, there's proof in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to get to something interesting. The practicality of his resurrection. How practical it was. In other words, that he practices. He practiced his resurrection. He, he used the power which empowered him to be raised from the dead. He was filled with the Spirit of God. In Matthew chapter 27, it's given us a terrible account, a terrific account of his, of his beating, of his death on the cross and how they just abuse him there. In verse 45, it says, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. You know the Bible prophesied that would come a great darkness over the, over the earth? It would cover the earth? They're living in this moment right now. Why was it so dark? Remember what had just happened. Jesus just became sin. Now, I'm not talking about a sin. I'm not talking about a little bit of sin. I'm talking about your sin, my sin, their sin, their sin, their sin. Every sin of the world he took on in that moment. In other words, the light went out. The light of the world took on the darkness of the world. He took our sin for us. He paid a price. He who knew no sin became sin. Now, notice here, he became sin. He did not commit sin. He, he did not even do this in a wrongful act. He did this in a holiness, and he was the only one who could do this. He became our sacrifice. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabbathanini. He said, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I, I find it very important to, to uh, uh, stress this point. Sin separates man from God. Jesus had never felt any separation yet from God, even though living as a man until he became sin. Sin builds a gap between you and I and God. Uh, sin builds a gulf between us that, that only Jesus in his death and his resurrection could rebuild a bridge to where we could get to God and God can get to us. He became sin. Your sin and my sin separate us from God. Now, you might say, I don't feel separated from God, but sometimes you might feel distant from God. Sin may not happen just like that, but as it does, it starts to cause you to feel unloved, unappreciated by God, not worthy of God, as if maybe he can't hear your prayer and doesn't want to hear your prayer. He doesn't receive your worship, doesn't, because of that gap. The resurrection comes to fill this gap, comes to bridge it so you and I can be one with God. Therefore, some of those who stood there, when they heard that, they said, this man is calling for Elijah. They're trying to guess what he's doing. Immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. Now, here's an interesting point. They had never seen a resurrection. They're a little nervous about what's going to happen. They, they somewhat have a concept that somebody is somehow going to save him from that cross. They obviously 
figured that Elijah or somebody was going to come and get him. They didn't have a complete faith and belief in it because they did not have anything to mirror it to. And so they said, maybe Elijah's coming to get him. Now think of how miraculous they were able to think. Elijah. Elijah, they had not seen someone dead and come to life like this in a resurrection power, but Enoch and Elijah both were taken away and nobody knew where they went. They're like, well, maybe he's coming back now. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come and save him. Don't help him live. Let him die. And we'll see if Elijah can come and get him. Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And then behold, the veil of the temple was torn. And two and top from bottom. And the earth quaked and rocks were split. And the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion of those with them who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that happened, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Is there the possibility this morning that God's going to say something, do something, allow something to happen in your life that will cause you to have that, that awakening that allows you to say, truly, Jesus is the Son of God. Truly, Jesus is the only way, the only truth. Through only Jesus, he is the, gives us the way that leads to life. Is there that possibility? That's what he wants to do. That's who he is, and that's what he does. Notice what happened. When Jesus died, people came out of graves. you got to get this. Literally, the Bible says, according to Scripture, the practicality of Jesus and the resurrection, when the resurrected one died, people who were dead came alive. You see, he's not even yet resurrected, but he's yet resurrecting. He hasn't yet returned, and we haven't yet been resurrected, but listen to me, but he's still able to resurrect. Anything that has fallen, anything that is damaged, anything that is ruined, anything that is, that is tarnished, anything that is corrupted in your life, Jesus can call it back to life. He can call it back to life. Power of resurrection. Luke chapter 7. Now it happened after that day that he went into a city called Nain. Could have been Scottsboro. And many of his disciples went with him in a large crowd. When he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out. He's as good as dead. Worthless. Just a wasted life. Maybe that homeless man that you see transient through our city sometime, or maybe uh, that relationship with somebody who just, who just will not turn to any good. Everything that they do turns to bad. He's being carried out as a dead man. He's the only son of his mother, was a, and she was also a widow. And a large crowd in the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin. Those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. He's talking to a dead man. 
He said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Maybe there's a mother here now that has a son that's as good as dead. Maybe you have a daughter that's as good as dead. Maybe you're seeing this thing walked out, and the processional is carrying out, and you're realizing your marriage is almost over. Your finances have tanked. You're getting ready to be a failure. You're getting ready to lose everything that you have. I don't know what state of life you're in, but I'm here to tell you Jesus is here to stop the procession. Jesus is here to stop the funeral. Jesus is here to touch the dead. Jesus is here to raise and resurrect that which no longer can speak, can hear, can do, can be. Jesus is here to meet those needs. He did a resurrection. Then fear came upon all of them, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. I have a good sense in my heart that God wants to visit you. I honestly believe that God is saying, Thank you for visiting with me this morning. Whether you attend the well here regularly, whether you come periodically, whether this is your first time, you just moved into town, you're able to be with us this morning for some special occasion. Jesus said, as you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. I want you to know that there is a visitation being set up for you right now. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know what that's going to feel like. But I believe somewhere along the line, because you came to seek him this morning, that somewhere along the line, today or tomorrow or the next day, in the very near future, you're going to see a touch of God on your life. You're going to see an appearance of God. He wants to visit his people. Remind you that you're created in his likeness. You're created in his image, created for his pleasure and for his divine purposes. He wants to meet with you. One more story. There was a sick man. His name was Lazarus. They sent word to Jesus because he's a friend of Jesus. So we're not just talking about somebody who's far off. We're talking about somebody who's very close to Jesus. But a sickness has come upon him. Matter of fact, sickness could be a spiritual condition. It could be an emotional condition. It could be a physical condition. He's in a situation where he's living in a poor quality of life. He's not living at 100%. Something has infected him. Something has gotten into him. It could be an offense. It could be for the lack of forgiveness. It could be a, a, a jealousy. It could be a, a comparison. It could be a deception. It could be anything. It could be an old wound, a tragedy of something traumatic that happened some years ago that still has conditioned the heart to be angry or upset with God or maybe with somebody else. He's a sick man, poor quality of life. His name was Lazarus. It was Lazarus of Bethany, town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that same Mary that had anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped, her, wiped his feet with her hair. Lazarus was sick. They sent word, Jesus, the one that you love is sick. I honestly believe under divine inspiration right now, I can say to you, the one who loves you is concerned about any condition in your life. Totally concerned. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he heard he was sick, he kind of waited a little bit. They're like, why are you waiting? And then his disciples tried to talk him out and said, you know, Jesus, uh, 
the Jews there want to kill you. So in other words, saying, I don't know if we should go right now. I want you to know that Jesus will put his life on the line for you. Whether there's people who accept him or don't accept him around you, Jesus is willing to meet you where you are. Jesus said, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I might waken him. I believe that Jesus wants to bring an awakening to our lives. I live on one end of the house where a couple of our, my studies on one end of the house where a couple of our children have their bedrooms and I can hear their alarms go off. I can hear their snooze alarm go off. And there's something inside of me that wants to awaken them because they're about to miss something. They might miss their quiet time with Jesus because life gets busy about a half an hour, an hour after everyone wakes up. They might miss their ride to work. They might miss church service where the best preacher in the world is going to preach when we're traveling. Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death. In other words, Jesus is staring death in the face. Because the reality is, Lazarus died. Death happens. But he's saying, don't, don't, don't fear death. I am life. Don't fear death. He said, the sickness is not unto death. But for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Do you realize that some of the things that you're going through is just giving God a greater opportunity to be glorified? I mean, I've ever heard a really good testimony like, oh, they didn't have a testimony like that is so sick. <laughs> but God gets the glory out of it. Amen? Our friend's sleeping. Let's go wake him up. I want you to know raising somebody from the dead is as easy to, G to Jesus as waking somebody up is to you. A little shake, rattle, and roll. Martha heard Jesus was coming. She went out and she met him. You know, everybody always gives old Martha the bad rap. She's in the kitchen, clanging the dishes and everything, and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now Mary's sitting in the kitchen and Martha's running to Jesus. M&Ms go good together. Amen. She got excited. Something's stirring inside of her. Anxious. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You can look at this from two sides. One, Lord, if you had been here, we wouldn't have this problem right now. Because I know you would have dealt with it. Or, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Where were you, God. When that accident took place, where were you, God? Is it the possibility that sometimes we're blaming God for what has happened? We're a little upset with God. It didn't go the way we wanted it to go. He's concerned with you no matter where you are in the situation you're in. She said, but. She said, but we know even now. Everybody say, even now. But we know even now that whatever you ask God, God will give that to you. 
But we know even right now, even though we missed that moment, even though it didn't work out the way we wanted to work out, but right now, you can do something. I want you to have that faith. I want you to have that knowledge that right now, no matter what state of life you're in, he can do something now. Now watch this. She said, we know that if you ask God, God will give you what you ask for. What she's saying is, he ain't given me what I've asked for yet. Perhaps there's something in this room right now you've been asking him for that you haven't got yet. Maybe your prodigal hasn't come home. Maybe your love hasn't been awakened, whatever it may be. But notice what she said. I want to give you a little key that could be helpful. I'm almost done. A few more minutes. Maybe your prayer's not working. Maybe ask him to pray for you. That might seem extreme, but this is where the resurrection resurrection comes into our benefit. You see, he's not only raised from the dead, he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. I don't know that we really know how to tap into that yet. We're still thinking about he's going to come and get us when he's already in a place who can help us now. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father, closing the gap for you, making intercession for you, and maybe if you ask him to pray the prayer that you haven't gotten answered yet, because you know he'll get it. You know that he'll get the answer. Sometimes invite Jesus into your now. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Everything's going to be all right, Martha. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I don't know how to, to, to fully get you to understand this, but there is coming a resurrection. But what the problem is, we're missing present-day resurrections. Jesus said he will rise again. She said, I know. I know all about the teaching of the last day resurrection. I believe it. Now watch this, how faith she had. There had never been a resurrection, but yet she believed there was going to be one. We have a resurrection. We have the practicality of it. We have the proof of it. We have the prediction of it. We have the prophecy of it. And sometimes we still doubt. How do you say that I doubt? Well, I believe he's going to raise him from the dead, but I don't believe he can raise the dead. You believe in a futuristic Jesus, but not a present Jesus. I believe that when I go to heaven, I'll be healed. Let me just kind of help you out on this one for a second. That body ain't going to heaven. You didn't hear me. You know as well as I know, you're going to go in there and there's a celestial being. That body's not going. So this whole thing about to be healed of it. No, no, that's missing out on the healing now. You're saying, yeah, but I, I believe, but I'm not healed. Oh, maybe that's just making your faith stronger. Yeah, come on. He didn't say that everything's going to be healed and everybody's going to be healed. He's just looking for those who will keep the faith. See, life's going to be tough. Life's going to be difficult. And we aren't always going to get what we pray for, but will he get what he prays for? When he comes back, will he find faith on the earth? Resurrection requires faith, but not just a futuristic faith, but a present faith. Are you with me? All right, I'll finish this up. And she said, I know that. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He didn't say, I'm going to be. He said, I am the resurrection. So much he was the resurrection that when he died, people were resurrected. 
Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. In other words, he wants to do something in your world. As you stand to your feet, preparing your heart for Jesus to do something, to resurrect your faith, to resurrect a friendship, a relationship, to resurrect a hope or a joy. To resurrect the ability and the talent that you have. There's a preparation. And simply the greatest need of your preparation is the need to hear his voice. Is the need to hear his voice. Jesus said this. He said, don't marvel at this. For the hour is coming that all who are in the graves will hear his voice. Now, you need to understand the concept he's saying there. He said, the hour is coming that everyone who's in a grave will hear his voice. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. In other words, he's saying there's a possibility for anybody and everybody, for all of us, that God's so loved to be able to hear his voice. He said, the dead in the graves will hear the voice. He said, don't be shocked at that. It's what's going to happen. You know, when he calls everybody forth, he's going to say to the righteous, go to my right side, and to the unrighteous, to go to the left side, to the sheep to the right, to the, to the, to the goats to the left. And there's a bunch of new faces in here, so i got to give you this in, in Greg terms. A goat's butt. Butt Lord, butt preacher, but word of God, but God, come on. Sheep, come on, church. Obey. Okay. I know it's simple. I know it's so childish, but that's all we need to be is come to him like children with faith. He said, those who hear his voice will come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So now we're finding out that resurrection is going to be for all. But where does your resurrection lead to? Do you really believe Jesus? Hebrews chapter 4, 1 and 2 says that there's a promise that remains for anybody to enter into his rest. Lest us fear any of you seem to have come short of it. Do you ever have that wondering and that concern that maybe your Christianity is coming short? You have a bold faith inside of you as you go into the community, the events that we do in the community, that you don't feel like you can go out and do them or that you need to do them. You just feel like you're coming up short. For indeed, the gospel is preached to us as well to them. That the word which they heard did not profit them not being mixed with faith. Is there the possibility back to that preached word that is so important to hold you from swerving and, sw and swaying that you're not mixing it with faith? The word of God will only profit those who mix it with faith. Believers, those who believe that he can resurrect now as much as he can resurrect then. Amen? He said, but don't harden your heart Listen to me, please. 
don't harden your heart right now. Don't think that you're good enough. Don't think that you've gone far enough. Don't think that you're close enough when you know you're not close and you know you're still far off. You know there's some broken and wounded things in your life. There's still some doubts and unbeliefs. Don't harden your heart. I told you a story. I'd already given my life to Jesus, but I got far from him, made a pact with the devil. Thank God on a Tuesday night in a bunk bed at Outreach Ministries of Alabama, some years later, I heard that voice and I called out to Jesus and he saved me. Don't harden your heart. If you'll hear his voice, if you'll hear his voice, today can be that day of salvation. Listen to me. I know we're in the Bible Belt. I said it earlier. We think salvation is that what we said when we were a little child. Is there anything he needs to save you from today? Is there any part of you that he could salvage today and make it new? Jesus said, there's only one way. He said, it's through me. And he said, my sheep know my voice. Anything in everyone else was a thief or a robber. He said, you need to hear my voice. And Jesus says today, behold, I stand before the door of your heart and I knock. And he said, if, if anyone will hear my voice and open up that door, I will come in and fellowship with them. You know, I believe he's knocking on areas of our heart right now. I really do. I believe that that knock doesn't stop. It's not a one-time, one-and-done scripture. And he's looking for other areas of our heart. What about that woundedness? What about that bitterness? What about that fear? I want to resurrect you. I want to raise you up. I want you to rise above this situation.